We'll take this week's reading from Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 26. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing the multitude one prisoner who they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barnabas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barnabas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barnabas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barnabas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? And they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that Tamut, uh, Tamut was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. And then he released Barnabas, Barnabas to him, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Martin, I've left my clicker down in the office. I apologize for that. Two seventy four for the invitation song. We've changed that. Two hundred seventy four. I tell you, it's really good to see each of you this morning. We have a wonderful crowd with us, especially if you're visiting. We're glad you are here, and we want you to come back and be with us every opportunity that you have. Following along with the passage that Matthew read for us, we see that Jesus was enduring the final stages of his illegal trial as he stood before Pilate. The Jewish leaders had been successful in having this innocent man arrested and they were bent upon having him murdered as well. Pilate was the only thing that stood between Jesus and the cross, or so he thought, as if he could usurp the eternal purpose of God, Ephesians 3 verse 11. Although Pilate was a man of some authority, he was also a politician. And being a politician, he did not like the position in which he had been placed. He did not like being in the middle of a commotion that was taking place all around him, and he wanted out of that dilemma. He wanted to be gone from it. He wanted the problem to be taken away. In fact, he wanted to release Jesus because he knew that he was an innocent man. But he would not do it because he was a coward. I think Pilate's sincerity may be questioned along with the motives of the Jews here. But the question that he asked must not be overlooked. I think he asked a very important question. It is a question that comes to everyone who has heard the gospel. Anyone who has read the scriptures and been taught what they must do to be faithful to God 
And it is a question that will not go away, no matter how much one wants it to go away. That question will always remain, and it is one that we must answer. What will I do with Jesus? Lois Blanchard Eads wrote a poem entitled, If Jesus Came to Your House. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if He came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. Oh, I know that you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest, and all the food you'd serve to Him would be the very best. And you would, and you would keep assuring Him you're glad to have Him there, that serving Him in your home is joy beyond compare. But when you saw Him coming, would you meet Him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let Him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they had been? Would you turn off the radio and hope He hadn't heard and wish you hadn't uttered that last loud hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you let Jesus walk right in or would you rush about? And I wonder, if the Savior spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things that you always do? Would you go right on saying the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read and let Him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you'd plan to go? Or would you maybe change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have Him meet your very closest friends or would you hope that they'd stay away until His visit ends? Would you be glad to have Him stay forever, on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when He at last was gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Christ in person came to spend some time with you. Now what will I do with Jesus? What will I do with Him understanding that he did give His life for me. He stood before an angry crowd who chanted for His death. He was taken off and scourged and then nailed to the cross. What will I do with Jesus? Well, there are some things that, that one might do with Jesus. One of them might be, I might sit on the fence concerning Jesus. There are several ways in which we can avoid taking a stand. There are several ways that we might try to straddle the fence so as not to offend anyone that we know. But one of those ways is by being silent. And we see this in our passage. Pilate was silent. He had already told Jesus, Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee? And have power to release thee? Well, as far as the civil government was concerned, he did have that power. But he did not exercise that power. He remained silent. But because of that very reason, Pilate is just as guilty is those who nailed Him to the cross and those who chanted for His death. There are times when being silent or doing nothing wrong is wrong. There's a time when just sitting there in and of itself, that may not be a problem, but when we do it in times that we ought to stand up, then it becomes wrong. And Pilate found himself in just a situation.
The followers of Jesus prayed later. Acts 4, 27 through 28. They say, For a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined beforehand. Instead of speaking up on behalf of the Savior of the world, Pilate remained silent. Many today follow that example. They want to climb upon the fence. They do not want to rock the boat. They want to remain silent. And they follow the example of Pilate the politician. Many are silent on behalf of Jesus, but there's something else. Many just simply want to separate themselves from Jesus. They don't want to have anything to do with Him. They actively try to separate themselves. Pilate really was saying, I don't want to be against Christ, but I don't want to step out and be for Him and cause a problem. I just want it to go away. The problem is Christ doesn't go away. Jesus doesn't go away. He's not going to force Himself into our lives, but He is still going to be there. It's almost as if people think, if I don't look Him in the eye, He won't even notice I'm here. Well, that's not the case, is it? Jesus said this, Matthew 12, verse 30, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. No doubt Pilate did not appreciate the political position in which he was placed, but he still had to make a choice. He still had to make a choice. And washing his hands was not an acceptable choice. He thought if he simply stood by, let things happen as they were happening, as long as he was not physically involved in the torture and the murder of our Lord, then he would be okay. He would not be guilty. Well, that's not true. That same line of thinking happens today. Paul warned the Romans about those terrible sins of life that, that he said to avoid, and he talked about those in Romans chapter 1, and, and he completed his thought by saying this in verse 32 who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. When we allow the sins of this life to creep into our lives and to corrupt us without standing against them, we approve of those things. If we allow sins to go on right under our nose and we have the ability and the opportunity to stop that, and we do not, we approve of those things whether we admit it or not. We cannot claim any kind of neutrality when it comes to Jesus. There is no fence upon which to straddle. We have to make a choice. Why? Because Jesus the Christ is the most divisive man in the history of all time. You're either for Him or you're against Him. There is no in-between. There is no fence upon which to sit. He said this, Luke 14, verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now I want us to understand this term hate which he used here. It doesn't mean hate in the sense that we understand that word. When he used this term hate, he means to love less. Love less. We have to put Christ first. We have to put Him before everything. 
the Lord is divisive because He requires each of us to make a choice on one side or the other. Now the other way that we can straddle the fence or attempt to do that as we try to avoid our Lord is placing Him second. Placing Him second in our lives. We might be silent. We might be separate. But there is no second place for Christ. We can't do that. There was a young man that came to Jesus and he asked Him a very important question. Matthew 19 verse 16 The young man said, Good Master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Of course, Jesus went on to tell him, Keep the commandments of which the young man said, I'm doing that. And then Christ said in verse 21, He said, If you will be perfect or complete, go and sell that you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow Me. See, this young man had to make a choice. He had to decide if he was going to put Christ first or he was going to place Him second. How did he respond? How did this young man respond to what will I do with Jesus? Well, he got on the fence. He didn't want to be in opposition to the Lord. And I'm sure that he continued to observe those Ten Commandment laws that Christ had commanded him to observe at that time. But he didn't want to commit to Christ. He wanted him to be second. He wanted to feel good about himself. He wanted to feel like he was being faithful to God, but he didn't want to do the work. He placed him second behind all the things of life that he had. This must have been a very wealthy young man. And he didn't want to turn loose of that. Matthew said that he went away sorrowful, even though the Lord offered him more than he would have ever had to have given up. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. What a wonderful statement, only to be ignored. Most people will refuse to look beyond this life into the next one. They refuse to look and see the promises that have been given to all of us, if we will but be faithful. Notice what Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, verses 6-10. through 10. Paul said, "...but godliness with contentment is great gain." For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they which will be rich fall into the temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves, through with many sorrows. But I really believe Jesus said it best when He asked, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, 26. What will I do with Jesus? The question is always going to be there. What will I do with Jesus? Will I sit on the fence? Will I try to avoid Him or be separated from Him? Well, I may do that. But I also might want to wait until there's a favorable time. A favorable time. Felix answered that question, what will I do with Jesus, by saying he would wait until a convenient time. A convenient time. Paul had been arrested, and to avoid being abused and wrongly sentenced by the Jews, he appealed to Caesar. 
However, Felix was not an honorable man and he kept Paul in jail for some time in attempt, in hope to receive a bribe from him. Periodically he would call Paul into his presence and Paul being the faithful man that he was never gave in to that. He wasn't going to place Jesus second in his life simply so he could be freed from prison. What did Paul do? He always preached Christ to him. We see in Acts 24, 25 that Paul reasoned of righteousness. He reasoned of temperance and judgment to come. But what was Felix's response to what will I do with Jesus? He said, go thy way this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. That is a mistake that's being made all over the world today. Do you know what the problem is with that? The fundamental problem is there is no convenient time to obey the gospel. Such obedience is not a matter of convenience. It's a matter of conviction. Conviction. Jesus commanded this, Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. Now secular history tells us that Felix never found a convenient time. We learn of Felix being arrested, taken to Rome, uh, tried before Caesar, and put on an island in banishment where he died about two years later. We don't learn that from the Bible, but here's something else we do not learn from the Bible. That Felix ever found a convenient time to obey the gospel. The writer of Hebrews asked this question. Hebrews 2 verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. We must have the conviction to obey the plan of salvation. We must have the, the conviction to give ourselves wholly to God. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we begin to do that? It must start with the sincere study of the, the Bible, mustn't it? We must have with an open mind a study. We must look at what God has left us and we are obligated to come to the conclusions He wants us to conclude. Not what we want. The writer also said this, Hebrews 11 verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of Him that diligently seeks Him. I show my diligence by putting Christ first, right? Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. I think he's talking to people who are followers of God. Seek God first. But even the alien sinner must seek out God, must seek out Christ to learn what he wants. When we put God first, we'll see that in our repentance, right? Paul said, and at the times of this ignorance, Acts 17.30, God winked at or overlooked, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Repentance is a hard and difficult task. But once we repent, we'll see that, and everyone will understand then of our great belief in Jesus. That's why we make the good confession that Jesus is who He said He was. And He tells us as much in Matthew 10.32. Submitting to baptism for the remission of sin, that's part of the plan. We see that. Christ said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. What will I do with Jesus? That question isn't going away. I have to answer that. 
Will I sit on the fence? Will I, will I try to get away from Him? Will I try to wait for a favorable time? Well, there's another option. I might just simply forsake Him. I might just leave altogether. We see that in the actions of the most famous betrayer of all times, don't we? Judas. Judas Iscariot. He knew better, didn't he? Jesus or Judas was with the Lord. He traveled with Him. He ate with Him. They stayed in the same places. He saw the great works that Jesus did, and we know for a certainty now, miracles do not create faith. Judas saw most of them, I'm sure. Yet he still answered, What will you do with Jesus by betraying our Lord? These same miracles that Judas saw caused Nicodemus to come to the realization that Christ was who he said he was. John 3 verse 2, Nicodemus said, We know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And that was the whole purpose of a miracle. To prove that the speaker was from God, John 20, 31. The clear majority though of the world's people, they're going to be borrowers of what Judas did. That's how we forsake him. Even with all the evidences he witnessed, he still sold the Lord for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave in that day. It happens today. The Lord will be sold for money. He will be sold for prosperity. He will be sold for popularity, prestige, success in business, and an incorrect love for family, among many other things. John said this, He said, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's not in the Father, but it is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John 2, 15-17 God doesn't want us to love the worldly sinful things of this life. He wants us to appreciate the gifts He's given us, enjoy the creation He has provided for us, but not allow it to cause us to live a life of sin. As I studied this, I began to think of one aspect of Judas' sin, his betrayal, that I'd really never considered before. What did he have in mind for that 30 pieces of silver? What was he going to do with that? Did he have big plans for that 30 pieces of silver? I don't know what he wanted to do with it. We're not told, but I know one thing for certain. He never had the opportunity to enjoy his ill-gotten gains from selling our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. He certainly did not take that money with him because he went out and he hanged himself. The truth of the matter is John was right. This physical world, these things are temporary. They're going to pass away. Our souls are going to go on forever. And we have to make the choice. Where are we going to live eternally? What will I do with Jesus? Am I going to make the correct choice? The Jews answered that question in a similar fashion that that Judas did, but maybe a little differently. They had no kind of sorrow whatsoever, whereas Judas, he was sorry that it didn't work out for him. The Jews answered by saying, Christ is a burden. They forsook him because he became a burden. He caused a problem. They didn't want him to take 
his rightful place in their lives. They were scared to death that he was going to take over and, and rule the nation. But unlike Pilate, they did not hesitate when asked, what will you do with Jesus? And they said, crucify Him. Put Him on the cross. Destroy Him. Murder Him. Get Him out of our sight. We don't want to see Him anymore. And in his sermon on Pentecost, Peter said this, Acts 2, 22-23. He said, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by Him in the midst of you. You saw them. You knew what He was, yet you ignored Him. He says, as ye yourselves also know, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Yet at the time, they cried out to Pilate, His blood be on us and on our children, and there it remains. What will I do with Jesus? The one who had no servants, yet they called Him Master. What will I do with Jesus, the one who had no degrees, yet they called Him Teacher? What will I do with Jesus, the one who had no medicine, yet they called Him a healer? What will I do with Jesus? He had no armies, yet rulers feared Him. What will I do with Jesus? He won no military battles, but He conquered the world. What will I do with Jesus? He committed no crime, yet He was crucified for me. He was buried in a tomb, yet He lives today. What will I do with Jesus? I better follow Him. I better follow Him. Why must I follow Him? He was beaten for me. He was murdered for me. He was mistreated for me. He endured what no man in the world had ever endured or ever would endure. Isaiah said this, Isaiah 52 verse 14, Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. He was beaten so badly he was beyond recognition. What will I do with Jesus? On His way to the cross, He was so physically weak that He could not bear His cross alone and Simon was chosen to help Him carry His cross as He journeyed toward Calvary. We must bear the cross. What will I do with Jesus? Simon had it right. Jesus said, If any man will come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. Matthew sixteen twenty four. The Lord's never promised us an easy road. He's never told us that if we choose Him and we answer this question correctly that we'll have no problems in this life. In fact, He pointed out that it would cost us a lot of what this world offers if we're going to be His disciple. Paul demanded this. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Jesus has pleaded and still pleads today, follow me.
Deny yourselves. Take up the cross. Yes, it costs to be a faithful Christian. It costs to deny self and to answer properly, what will I do with Jesus? But it will cost much more if I refuse to do that. If I answer Him properly. If we do answer in the correct manner, we will enjoy the riches of heaven. We'll rejoice with Jesus and the saved forever. What will I do with Jesus? All of us will answer that question. Whether we realize it or not, for the sake of our souls, we must answer, I will follow. For sure, we will never regret that decision throughout all of eternity. If you haven't answered that question in your life, answer that today. What will I do with Jesus? Will you obey the gospel? Will you, will you make the statement that you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Will you repent of past sins? Giving your life over to Him, endeavoring to live in the way that He wants us to live. Being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins and coming up out of that water, walking in a new life. Will you answer in that way if you haven't done that? There's not a lot to the gospel plan of salvation really once we begin to look at it. It's very simple. Belief, repentance, confession of who He is, immersion in water. We will continue to learn. We're not going to know everything ever. But we can know how to become a Christian. How will you answer that question? What will I do with Jesus? Maybe you've been unfaithful. What are you going to do with Him? Come back to Him. Follow Him. Confess sins in your life. Repent of those things. If in a public way, if that's necessary, do that. Don't allow that to keep you from following Him. If not, do it privately. Either way, what will you do with Jesus? Answer that as we stand and as we sing.